This is Karen Hunter, and welcome to The Hub. I'm looking forward to this woman because she she ran for office. She ran for office. She was out there in them streets, uh, really uh, 2020 congressional nominee in Florida, which is uh, struggles uh, as a state uh, CEO of Center for Employment Justice. Let me welcome back to the show. Pam Keith, Esquire. Hello. (laughs) Great to be here with you again. This very uh, much enjoying your show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, before we before we get into what you're seeing, let me take a caller uh, who's been holding on. Uh, I asked the question, who's voting? Uh, early voting in Georgia today. We just had a caller who said she had to stand in line. I was like, you can go tomorrow morning, y'all. Y'all ain't got to stand in line. You can go on Wednesday early morning, but let's go early because the early vote is super important, as we saw with the 2020 uh, elections, presidential elections. But let's go to Mark in Florida, who's been holding. Hi, Mark. Hi, Karen. Hi. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you. Welcome. I just want to make the comment um, that I came across your show by accident, and I'm definitely going to be locked in. But let's when, talk about wait, just voting. today? You it was an accident today? No, on Friday. I just got this serious radio, and I heard your show. Oh well, you came in on a Friday thinking we we all fun and games. Okay, all right. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the family. You know, you know. As uh, Solar Dad just said, there are no accidents. No, so. there ain't no accident. But let's talk about the voting, and then I want to make a, a side comment about mental health. Okay. Um, as far as voting, I'm 52 years old. I voted in every election since I've been 18. This year, nah, I'm not even going to waste my time. Neither party represents the people. They always promise, 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 mm-hmm. and neither one of them will deliver anything. It's time for black people to say, no, we're not voting unless you don't give us something for it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why should we vote for you? Okay, what did you ask for? What, what do I like? What, no, no, what did you ask for? You you said you've been voting. Hold on, Mark, welcome. We uh, Since you're new, you don't, you know, we, we actually call in response to you on the, on the Karen Hunter. We have okay. conversations. We're not, you just don't get to say what you got to say and then dip out. I'm going to ask you some questions. So when you voted... All of the time that you voted, what did you ask for? What did you require of the people that you uh, cast your ballot? Nothing. Okay, so what did you get? Nothing. Okay, so, you know, I'm just saying, you know, there's there's a process to this. Voting is probably number eight out of ten steps of power. Maybe I should do a book, Ten Steps of Power. Political power. Maybe Pam Keith should do the book because she's probably (laughs) got more time than I do to do. Maybe not. Uh, The Ten Steps of Power. Voting is probably step number eight in gaining power, but to call up this show and tell me it's a waste of time. And I'm not even going to talk about mega Evers and the people that died so that you can have the right to vote, but I'm going to hand it over to a person who actually studies this stuff and she's got a law degree. So Mark, don't go anywhere. Cause we're going to come back to you, but Pam, tell us why this he's been voting since he was 18. I get it. You know, mm-hmm. if you look in your community, if I'm in Jackson, Mississippi, I'm like, what's I can't bathe. What? I've been mm-hmm. voting and what the government's not coming in to rescue me. But you can send money over to Ukraine. Like, you know, like it. I, the arguments are salient and they're not right. off base. I get what he's saying. What mm-hmm. do you say to somebody that says I've been voting my whole entire life and I don't see anything, any reason to do it? OK, anymore? well, I mean, I live in Florida. Most of the black folks who vote in Florida still don't end up winning. 
So you could be voting, but the Republicans still win. So, so you look up and you say, well, my neighborhood doesn't look any different. Uh, yeah, but did your vote actually win? Did you get gerrymandered out of power? Did you vote for people who actually stand for your community? Right? Because one of the things that I found about Southern politicians is a lot of them are just happy to be in power. They don't really stand up. They don't ruffle feathers. They don't challenge status quo. They don't go against. So you agree with Mark in Florida? I agree that voting alone ain't going to get you much, especially if you're if you if your vote has been uh, watered down and distilled to the point where it has no impact. So why why should he show up? Why should he show up this time? Because there is. Uh, a clarity that comes when you actually start losing stuff. See, the problem is we think that voting is about gaining stuff and that's not always the case, right? Sometimes voting is about not losing stuff, right? Or changing stuff or stuff not getting changed for the worse, right? So if I am being beaten at the, the whipping post, right? And I, the most that can happen is to stop somebody from beating me. That's still a worthy, that's still a worthy cause, right? Because at the end of the day, I'm not going to get to the free and happy and doing well until I get the beatings to stop. So if somebody comes up to me and says, if in election, somebody says, I won't beat you. And somebody says, I will beat you. It's ridiculous to say, oh, well, I'm not going to vote for either one of these because none of these people are telling me they're going to do well for me, right? So what you're not recognizing, what our, our, what our listener is not recognizing is that they're, the people, he, by abstaining from the process, he's empowering the person with the whip. And that whip is coming for you. And you got you to gotta understand that they're actually literally admitting and stating that they're bringing that whip for you. So to say, I'm just not going to vote because the person that I trusted or that, that I believed in or that I wanted to do well for me didn't do well enough for me. The party that did, that I wanted to do well for me didn't do enough for me. Uh, okay, but were they the, the the minimum protection from the one that wanted to take your head off? Because see, that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with one party that actually puts Black people on the court, one party that actually holds officers accountable, one party that actually puts money into the Black community, one party that actually forgives student loans, and another that's like, hey, we're coming for you. Mm. And if you don't understand the rhetoric that they use, then maybe you don't understand the rhetoric that they use. But they're not looking to, it's not like both parties are doing us bad. Right. One party is literally shielding us from what the other party wants to do. And what they want to do is take us back to Jim Crow, not 2.0, Jim Crow on crack, Jim Crow yes. on steroids. Right. Right. And so, we're not, you didn't even bring up reproductive rights, which Mark may not care about. But yeah, I, I doubt that he cares right. about that right. because the way he he spoke made me think that he's very self-focused. Mm-hmm. Right. He's okay. not community focused. Right. So so, so let I'm me ask him. Look- let me ask him since we have a Mark, any of this. Yes, resonate I'd with like you to respond to those comments please yeah yes okay first i want to respond to the comment you made karen first of all we have to ask a question okay mark you've been voting since you was 18 you now 52 and you say you're not going to vote we have to address the problem of i've been voting democrat without ever putting any thought into what i was doing right and how did i get that I got that concept from the people I was around that, like, no, you just vote Democrat because you're black. No, you had to make these people accountable. Okay, so, so stop. You're new to the show. I launched a party of Lincoln 
getting black people to vote Republican in 2014 to stop Trump from getting the primary uh, because I saw it was 2015, actually getting a primary because I was like, he can win if he gets the primary. If he if he makes through the primary, he can win. So I was like, black folk in these states that are closed primary, like we gave a civics lesson, launched a whole app in 2015. You're new to the show to give people the marching orders. I got cussed out on these airways by people who were like, I can't vote Republican. I was like, it's strategy. It's not your, I'm not telling you to vote against your mama. I'm saying in the state that you're in, your democratic vote has no weight. Vote in a closed primary, change your voter registration, vote for this Republican. Let's vote for somebody who can't win at the time. It was Jeb Bush. Cause I knew he couldn't beat Hillary, you know, cause they have the same problem and people were not going to show up for him. He dropped out early. And I was like, Kasich, he can't beat Hillary. I said, Trump could beat Hillary. And everyone right. was cussing me out. I was right. So, yes, Mark, to your point, people say vote Democrat, vote blue no matter who. That for 20, 30 years didn't matter. It matters now. It matters now because the Republican Party has decided it is going to be open white nationalists, white terrorists, and they don't give a damn. They're going to misinform and they don't care about you, me or anybody else but power. And so now, unfortunately, we're at a place where there's a binary choice or or actually there are three choices. You can vote Republican, Democrat or sit home. But sitting home is voting Republican at this point. Absolutely. Right. So and go I ahead. Have, Wait, and Mark, be pithy because we got, you know, got a lot of things to cover. So go ahead. Finish. Well, quickly, um, I want to just say thank you for having me on this show. I really enjoyed this conversation, but I disagree with the uh, the way that the ladies say that how I feel. That's not true. You can't make that assumption until you ask the questions. You ask questions and then you can find out exactly why I'm saying what I'm saying. But I do appreciate the show. One quick comment on mental health. Y'all really do need to take mental health seriously. As an RN, I can tell you, they don't take it seriously. They don't take it seriously for the workers, and they certainly don't take it seriously for the patients. Keep doing your good job. Thanks for having me on your show. All right. Welcome to the family. Uh, Thank you, Mark. And he's absolutely right. (laughs) You know, we're in some strange times, Pam Keith. Um, We are, and and, and I understand him stating that he he has his reasons everybody has reasons and that and they're going to be good reasons to them or they wouldn't have them right but because i'm not assuming the man is stupid he has his reasons but what i will say is that if you're voting and you're not getting a result then ask yourself well who does get results with their vote who does who gets results with their actions well corporations get results with their actions I I wonder why. Well, let me tell you something. Corporations don't just give their money to candidates. They don't just show up in front of offices. What they do is they write legislation and show up in your office and say, if you don't support this legislation, I'm going to make your life a living hell. Right. Why is it that wealthy people have such an outsized say in our politics? Because they control the people. Right. So when we vote, we don't end up controlling. We vote and then they disappear and we disappear. And then for the next two years, we don't know what they're doing and they really don't care what we think because they're not seeing us. There is a truism about politics, which is that politics is all about what's in your face. It's all about presence. It's all about who who the squeaky wheel gets the oil, but the shouting wheel is the one that gets the most attention. So, you know, we, we talk about how unfair it is that Ukraine is getting all this money. Well, we may be comparing apples and oranges there, but trust and believe that Russia gets our attention. Black people don't get the attention on the Hill that Russia does, right? But then again, 
Black people don't get the attention that Elon Musk does. Black people don't get the attention that the LGBTQ community, and I love my LGBTQ brothers and sisters, but we don't get that attention. We don't get the attention that the Jewish community gets. Why? Because we don't show up in the same way. We vote, mm -hmm. but then after the vote, we dissipate and we don't have clear, concise lobbying on what we want done once we do vote. There is no Black people's lobbying firm. There's no K Street lobbyists. Why not? Why not? <laughs> because we work from the incorrect assumption that the people we elect are ah, supposed to represent. Why don't but we know that? Come on, Pam Keith. What, what organization should be responsible for making sure there's a think tank, that there, there's, there's a lobby? No, there's, there's no, there, there, the NAACP is not a, a black federalist society. It's not. Jesus. Why not? Why because is it should have so evolved? We have, because we have been unsophisticated and how we play this game. Right. We have played this game right. in a 1972 model for all this time, and the game has evolved. So if we want policy that truly affects the black community, then we need a lobbying firm that writes that policy because elected officials don't, unless you Elizabeth Warren or Katie Porter, you ain't writing policy. You, you sign off on the policy written for you, either by your staff, but more importantly, by lobbyists and corporate entities and all these external entities. They come to you with statutes. They come to you with legislation and they start to whip who's going to say yes and who's going to say no, right? Most elected officials are too lazy to write legislation. Writing legislation is work, yes. right? They're yes. not trying to do all of that. So when a corporate, when big sugar wants something on the hill, do you think they go to their people and say, oh, we want X, Y, and Z? No, they don't. They come up with a piece of legislation. They've fully written, fully vetted. They put it in front of them and say, if you don't vote for this, we're going to put a million dollars into your opponent's coffers. That's how they get what they want. We play some games better than any other group on this planet, but there are some games we have never figured out how to play. So and if, we, wait, if we play politics the way we play basketball and tennis, amen. It would, we would because we run it. Black people decide what is cool in America, what is funny in America, what is fashionable in America. We are the cultural setting of of America. If we don't think it's cool, it's not cool. When we decided K-pop was cool, it became cool. That's how they and they appropriated our music to be cool, right? We decide. There are things that we run and we regulate like no other. But politics is not one of those things because we play in an unsophisticated way so we get disappointed by our elected officials rather than understanding that they are exactly who we allow them to be i just want to sit with that you just reframed everything okay so uh let me ask you a hundred million dollar question ceo of center for employment justice can that be turned into a uh, a lobbyist firm i mean and sure we can open a lobbying division okay. we what does that, what does that look like what do you need for that pam keith so, need that. so first of all you would just need obviously a little seed money not a whole lot but you would need one or two people whose principal job is to be a registered agent right so you have to be a registered agent what does that Level, mean registered that you have to put there's paperwork that you put in to identify yourself as as lobbying on behalf of some entity a country a corporation or whatever so so that when congress members talk to you they know that they are talking to an agent of some entity right and there are lobbyists for every kind of issue out there right but there as far as i know there is no lobby for the black people 
because supposedly Benny Thompson is supposed to be the lobbyist for the black Ooh. people or or Jackson they're supposed to be the no, one no 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 but, but you're saying oh you're making me oh y'all we have been playing who not the right game at all so Pam Keith is here setting the table for us right so if Derek uh Johnson the head of the NAACP which I think the last thing they did significantly besides yeah I think they do some things burying the n-word might be the last thing and it was not on his watch so I'm not going to hold him accountable for that could they or are they a registered uh no, no. could they could they one? A 501c, mm-mm. okay NAACP so they can't do it a, okay no all right, all right. 501c3. that's a there are different tax okay. status uh, so so but to have a lobbyist really you you would you would have an entity and you would have different groups around the country fund this entity and they would say okay my job is to go up to ayana presley and make time on the schedule for nancy pelosi and say i want this piece of legislation and i start whipping that mm-hmm. whipping legislation means taking people to lunch taking them to dinner showing up at their house showing right. up in their in their districts moving the pastors in their districts it means moving people Got like you. think about what like mom's demand does what right. what does mom's demand do right well wow. they have a grassroots organization but they're also supported by a lobbying function right now they wait, wait pause oh. so black right. lives matter could have been a very effective could have lo- been could, but now but it it's been short of yes. the lobbying component so what it did was the we are damn good at grassroots organizing black people got grassroots organizing black lives matter black voters matter we got grassroots organizing 218 but what we don't have is an actual in-your-face lobbying function and we don't have an actual federalist society incubator system we don't have a think tank system right there are more right-wing think tanks than you could throw a rock at on the hill they take apart every component foreign policy national policy energy policy everything they got a different right-wing think tank for every issue we don't have any black think tanks let alone one that is for healthcare or black education or black, you know, business entrepreneurship or cannabis business, we could have lobbyists or or think tanks that specifically develop ideas. Federalist society does not develop ideas. Federalist society develops people. And the way it does it is by having chapters all over the country at the college, graduate schools, law schools, all have these Federalist Society chapters. We have AKAs. They have Federalist Society. And Federalist (laughs) Society grooms people and prepares people and builds networks for people to go into government and to go into positions of power, be it judiciary and so on and so forth. They groom people for that purpose. Do we have something that grooms people for that purpose? No, we do not. So what happens is we still get people in the judiciary. We still get people like, let's not forget that we have a black woman on the Supreme Court because of the Mr. Marcus not voting. Glad you voted at least enough to get us a black woman on the Supreme Court, right? But but had have we actually created an umbrella organization for the express purpose of developing, grooming, and preparing Black people to be judges and prosecutors and public defenders? No, we do not. My question is, pourquoi pas, right? Why not? And the answer is, we as Black people do not play this political game in a sophisticated way. We are transactional. It's all about the next election. 
And that's true about Democrats generally, and it is particularly true about Black Democrats. As you're talking, I have a space called Nubia. I think we can create a couple of think tanks in there, several thousand people from all over the globe to to put together. So let's let's go. Let's let me go back. Civics 101. Pam Keith is here. Mm-hmm. What does a think tank do? It takes a, an issue or an um, an area of of scholarship and it does deep thinking in that thing. So for example, we have foreign policy think tanks. We have a think tank that only focuses on Russo-US relations and it literally hires people to study, research and write and think about the relationship between Russia and the United States. And all of their people are full-time people or even the, you know, sort of uh, part-time people. They spend their time going to Russia, meeting Russians, meeting Russian scholars, looking at Russian history, diving into things. And so they start to formulate what policy should be based on a body of scholarship, right, of deep thinking on an issue. So let's say for our community, we wanted to take up the issue of Black fetal, uh, maternal fetal mortality, right? And how it's such a high issue in our in our in our community how black women when they get pregnant it's it's so much worse for them so you would put together a think tank meaning you would put together uh physicians OBGYNs, hospital administrators of uh, uh, p- clergy mothers doulas rns mm. uh you know young young people who are teen moms uh people who deal with health policy and insurance experts and so forth. And they would start to pick apart all the pieces that are causing these high rates of of, um, maternal fetal health issues. And then they would start to do scholarship on it, write white papers. And then those white papers get sent to the people on the Hill who are legislating. So what happens is that a lobbying firm will take a white paper from a think tank and say, this justifies why we need these things to change these problems. So you have lobbying firms out there that lobby on something like gun control, right? Mm -hmm. Or on something like uh, climate change. They take these think tank white papers, they take these think tank uh, products and then create legislation and then lobby Congress on that legislation. So where we are is we vote and we say, what y'all going to do for us? Like, like, <laughs> with, no, with no strike. We've been talking about this. Um, Eldroy Williams, Larry Daniel Favors. We're the only group of people that don't have an ask. And then we complain about not getting anything or ah, my vote doesn't matter. What did you ask for? The caller in, in Florida? Yeah. Nothing. What did you get? Nothing. That's how that works. Well, the gays That's how that and, the, works. and the white and the women and this and that. And the, yeah, well, they had an agenda. They wanted gay marriage and they lobbied for it and they got it right. What has right. been our lobbying? You just right. you just made it really crystal clear. And I'm I'm today years old. I don't know why I didn't think about this before. We don't have a lobbying arm. We don't have a think tank. No. And it makes it really difficult because there's outside of the Crown Act, which Ajua Asamoa uh, literally went around the country gathering uh, lawmakers and mm-hmm. state by state. But that's not a federal law. So if you're black no. in the country federally, you can't wear your hair as it grows out of your head. Right. To that a, would be. An amendment to Title VII. 
So one of the things that's my pet peeve is the Civil Rights Act of 1967 needs to be modernized. And we can make common cause with our LGBTQIA brothers and sisters to get a component of protections for them in the Civil Rights Act, because we need allies to get our, our agenda across the table. We need allies. And if we say, hey, let's open Title VII for the modernization that needs to take place for Black people, and by opening up the statute, we make room for the LGBTQIA community. We make room for other groups to come in. And so now they have an interest. They bring their resources and their lobbying and their money to opening up that statute for revisit, which it desperately needs. Because the problem with Title VII, the statute that protects the one that I work with the most frequently. I'm a I'm a lawyer who represents Black people in the workplace. You know, I represent whistleblowers, women and minorities in the workplace. So I do civil rights as applied to employment. The thing is that the case law is based in 1972 discrimination and what that looked like. It doesn't look like today the way it did in 1972 because employers are more sophisticated than they used to be. They don't allow the noose in the workplace, but they do allow Black people to be paid 60 cents on the dollar. That they do allow. So we have to have more sophisticated language in that statute to address how racism mm -hmm. looks today and feels today and is experienced today. But we don't we're not out there asking for an opening of Title VII, which we ought to be and which we mm -hmm. should have a think tank to say we need to reopen the statute. You talk about criminal justice reform. Do you know the, the single most important component of criminal justice reform ain't got nothing to do with police? It's about reforming and rewriting the criminal code. Mm -hmm. There is a model penal code at the federal level on which all states model their statutes as to what is and what's criminal, what's not criminal, and at what level. It was written originally in the 1920s, right? And it's been modified a little bit hither and they've taken care of that, but they've never rewritten it. And it has a completely white-centric, male-centric, rich-centric assumption set. Right. So one of the things that I've been desperately trying to get through my little Twitter to get Kamala Harris to take on because she'd be the perfect person to take it on is a blue ribbon panel to rewrite the model penal code, to rewrite the federal code from soup to nuts. And this time you put in uh, returning citizens in that panel. You put law enforcement in that panel. You put preachers and social workers and psychologists and you start to truly call out what is a crime of intent? What is a crime? What is a artifact of poverty? What is an artifact of mental illness? And you start to really relook at why we put people in jail in the first place, because police are going to keep finding more crime in the black community because it's a poor, it's more. It's uh, easy pickings. It's slim pickings. It's, it's why. Pickings. Yeah, it's easy pickings. It's so why, if you change yeah. what's illegal and why. We right. talk about criminal, you know, cannabis justice, but cannabis is just one thing. There are so many other things that we criminalize that we don't right. need to criminalize, right, right. right? And there's a whole cottage right. industry and ecosystem around that. Like they could pull you over for having an air freshener, but they it's at their discretion who they pull over for having an air freshener on the rearview mirror. You know, they could pull you over for decals, you know, but they could, it's at their discretion. But if all of that's in the penal code, it gives them the latitude to pull you over. And who are they targeting exactly? 866 uh, I know, and thank you, Nick, for this, that uh, there's a tax code shift changing uh, the 501 3C status, allowing for there to be more political activism. And I know that Derek Johnson, thanks to Nick, and I read the article really quickly while Pam 
was talking, uh, the NAACP is leading into that. So there, there, there could be more opportunity for our organizations to get involved in the exact thing that you're saying. But we, the people, and you brought up sororities and fraternities. What if each of them, and I've said this before, tackle one issue? The Qs could be in charge of criminal justice reform because, you know, they – they out there, they wild. You know what I'm saying? The Qs, my daddy was a Q. You know, um, the, the alphas could be uh, education reform. Do you know what I'm saying? The sigmas could be medical, you know, uh, th- that looking at medical justice for black people. Each sorority and fraternity can take an issue and they have lawyers because, you know, they're professional organizations among them and each tackle one thing. And we got divine nine. We got 10 of the, you know, there's 10 organizations that can lean into something. And now we have lobbyists, right, that will deploy and take that legislation and beat it like a drum. And they got the numbers. There are millions of divine nine. I've been saying this from day one on on these airwaves that could be activated tomorrow to do this. I completely concur. And it was one of the reasons that I was so excited about this. There's a there's a new pack that was open for for divine nine. Um, and I, I like that. And I think that's great. I think that's a great start. But I just think that we when we talk about our vote, we just we tr- we vote and trust. And that's not how politics is done. You don't vote and trust. You vote and push. You vote and demand. You vote and show up. There is nothing more impactful than showing up in politics, period. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. As a candidate, I learned that lesson, that you have the most impact where you physically show up. You can't dial it in in politics. You really do have to show up. Yes, And that is true of a candidate to the community, but it's also very true of the community to the candidate. Right. And that's right. the part we've been missing. We've been missing this, like, okay, I vote, and then I'm going to just go off into the sunset and then be I, disappointed. Right. Well, so anyway, I, I, I just, you know, the, the caller from Florida, I, there's nothing I can say to change his mind. He's made up his mind. I'm disappointed in him as a Black woman because he's clearly said to me that what's happening to me as a Black woman in this state, a fellow Floridian Black woman who's having my rights trespassed upon, he can't fash himself to step up for me. But I just want him to know if he's still listening to the show that the police that come after him, the prostate cancer coming after him, the high taxes coming after him, the bad water that's coming after him, I'm voting for him on that. I am voting for him on that. I understand he can't return the favor, right? He can't feel enough about what's going on for women to show up for us. But I am a black woman and I love my community and it doesn't have to hurt me to hurt me. I need I need that to sit for a second. Sometimes things have to seep into your soul. Uh, Pam just delivered a sermon. According to a new poll, registered voters said the biggest threat to American way of life, the biggest threat to American way of life, 9% foreign threat. So all that Russia talk, not a big deal for most Americans. Natural world, meaning the climate, 14% said that's driving the biggest threat to American life. 14% feel like it's the climate. Uh, really, y'all? Really? Okay. Economic forces, 35%. 35% economic forces are what's uh, the biggest threat to American way of life. And at 42%, other Americans, we're, we're our own worst enemy. 
Um, welcome back. Pam Keith is here. We see each other as a bigger threat than Russia, the climate, the economic forces. What does that say about us? Can we, uh, <laughs> Pam Keith, what does it say? Well, I mean, I, I, if I were asked that question, I would answer with the 42%. Yeah. That, how sad is that? That, that it's our, uh, our neighbors. You know, we used to be able to turn well, to mean, your neighbor. I, I, I live in yeah, I live in Florida. I see the yeah. signs. Right. 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 I understand what my 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 fellow neighbors intend for me. Okay. And and that means and, and what they intend is to stop democracy altogether. That's true. That is true. And it's it's disconcerting, but we can't just stand on the sidelines and go, mm-mm. You know, <laughs> isn't this a shame? No, you have to do something. And you've given us, uh, you put a battery in a lot of backs. I'm just I'm in a Nubia chat and people want you to come in there and teach a whole a lesson on how to, to to build a lobbying force. So I'm going to invite you off, Mike, and uh, you're going to come on in. But let's go to the phones uh, and welcome in. Oh, man, the lines are lit. Carlos in Ohio. Hi, welcome to the Karen oh. Hunter Show. Thank you, Ken, for taking my call. I just want to speak to that guy who uh, talking about he wasn't going to vote, and that was very crazy. No, don't do uh, that. It, let me let me just say, you know, um, the, and there are a lot of people who will troll and call up to disrupt. I don't think that was his intent. I think he was really 52 years old. He's voted since he was 18 and just really is frustrated and hasn't been given the proper – most of us. I'm, I'm today learning – I know about lobbyists because we have lobbyists on the show. I understood that. I know about think tanks because, you know, I've been following the Heritage Foundation and others for a while. Never put two and two together until Pam laid it out very simply. Most of us are miseducated on purpose. We're not stupid or crazy because of that. It's on purpose. It's on purpose that we don't put two and two together. It's on purpose. Divide and conquer It's very powerful. Thank you, Sun Tzu, for that. So, Pam, you know, I'm, and I'm going to let you finish, Carlos, but to call somebody crazy for feeling disenfranchised and frustrated to not want to even show up. If you were 52, you've been voting for most of your life. You, yes, you, you're going to feel some ways, and I get that. We're not, I'm not going to disparage somebody for not wanting to vote. But Pam laid out a case. Now, after hearing her, and you still feel the same way, now now you have cognitive dissonance. And that's a whole other thing that needs to be addressed, Pam. Do you agree? Yes, I absolutely do. But again, it's you're 100% right. We are undereducated on certain things on how society functions. But because it functioned uh, without Black people playing in those circles for so, so long. So there are a lot of things that we don't know how white people get done. We don't know how rich people get done, but they get done. But there's some things that we can get done that they can't do. They don't know how our communities function either. So there's a there's a kind of two, you know, we're a little bit shifts in the night in our in our in our communities. But imagine so, if we if we master the things that this country foundationally was built upon, along with our drum beat and our ability to call and respond and uh, we would be, like move we would be something else like right? Voltron whenever we need to yeah, imagine exactly. that. <laughs> and, and that's something that I try to get black people to understand all the time, which is why we are so voter suppressed is because there is a, a uniqueness to the black community in this country. That is the anti the, the sort of outgrowth of, of the slave experience and the Jim Crow experience, which is that we have a common language and we have a common um, uh we have a common goals, right? And that allows us to move as a block and a big enough block to impact elections. And 
we also control the major city centers with our vote. So St. Louis or, or you know, St. Louis drives and Kansas City drives Missouri, Chicago drives Illinois. Like all of these mm -hmm. cities are driven by communities of color. And if we actually showed up in the way we could and moved in the way that we could, we would be running all of these states because we the know that. And they, and they know, know that. that. So they keep us divided and at each other and 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 particularly breaking down the, the, the connections between Black women and Black men, between urban and rural, between Kojic and Southern Baptist, yes. between Delta and AKA, like in any way that they can divide us and keep us at each other's throats, they do. Because the truth of the matter is if you go to South Africa, you cannot get all Black folks on one page on anything because there are no Black folks in South Africa. There are Kosa and there's Zulu and there's this and that. And the other thing. They, they're not Black folks. They're South Africans maybe, but they're not Black. They're, 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 their tribal definition establishes who they are. We over here, we create tribe out of not having tribe, right? So right. we create it. But the thing is, tribe in our country is counterproductive. It's counterproductive. We need to see our commonality right. and our common goals and our common advancement as a priority. And that's the thing that I find most frustrating about a caller that comes up and says, I'm not going to vote. Because what he's saying is I've divorced myself from the community. I, I'm I'm not interested in using my little corner of power to advance, to, to add a drop in the engine that's going to drive forward our, our, our community because I'm not seeing the community move fat forward fast enough. Or more importantly, I'm not seeing myself move fast enough ergo i need to just withdraw the 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 bit that i add to the machine and i again can't express how frustrating and disappointing that is to me even if it's understandable even if it's a natural human reaction to disappointment to say i ain't playing no more i'm gonna take my toys and go home that's natural that's a normal response but it's also an unsophisticated response mm, it's right? a childlike it's, to your point take your toys response. it is an uh it is an immature response pam keith is her name pam keith is here uh and as you're talking i think the greatest uh you know trick of whiteness the creation of whiteness is that it also created blackness and and this is going to be the thing that upends everything if we ever wake up and realize the power of that thing, that made up thing that draws us all together under this trauma that they created with whiteness. 866-801-8255, the power of that. Carlos, go ahead. I'm sorry. Finish. I'm, I've got a clock in a minute, two, in two minutes. Um, I was saying for him to vote because we got two bills that need to be reintroduced um, in the House and then back to the Senate again because the Republicans, that's the George Floyd um, bill, the John Lewis bill, and also we don't want the Republicans to try to repeat what they did back in 2010 and 2022, which is try to strip power from who's in control right now, okay? And then last but not least, I'm about to clock in, last but not least, um, we do not want... Uh, the Republicans to get in office or get, in, get into control because they could end up re, uh, introducing a United States constitutional convention if they are able to garner enough support from all the governors across the state of uh, across the United States. All they need is at least 38 governorships, Republicans, and uh, state uh, Republican uh, uh, legislatures that's um, uh, in, you know, in, you know, in control. And then right now they're at number 34. 
So okay. they just need four to five more governors to end up uh, uh, maybe reintroducing, I mean, introducing a constitution, United States constitutional right. provision. That's all the gospel. Okay. That's all I want to say. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, have a good work day, brother. Thank you for being a part of this family. Let's go to James in Miami. You're holding on. Welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. Uh, good afternoon, Dr. Hey. Karen and Dr. Keith. Uh, Quick question, Dr. Keith, in building this lobbying platform, there's a young lady down here in South Florida uh, who's, who's focused on doing just that in through the NAACP youth directorship. And I was wondering, do you have any uh, advice or any way that we could uh, uh, I could give to her to see where we could start something like that, but similar to Alec, but not being Alec in terms of, uh, you know, the, the development of thought? You know, following mm-hmm. the the, uh, the 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 structure that Dr. Carr has given us, maybe yourself, Dr. Kalithia Mitchell, Dr. Carr, and developing something like that. And my second question would be, what do you see as some of the the salt that Karen talked about, being able to to change the hearts and minds of those most effective voters, which are the non-voters, to get them in action to the polls. Because we're committed down here. We're going to get them done. I'm going to take three with me to the polls. Take so three with me. I love it. I love it, James. And the salt I love that he's it. on. Hold I, I, thank you, brother, because we need every vote in Florida that we can get. Um, Amen. I, I the, wait, let me just pause because this thing's bleeding over. So we had a Saturday conversation that bled over to Monday where uh, I asked this question of Dr. Gray Carr, who's uh, African studies at Howard. Okay. So uh, I said, you know, you could lead a, one of our callers. I said, you could lead a horse to water, but we can't make him drink. And he said, no, nah, my daddy was a cowboy. And if you feed a horse enough salt, they're going to come to the water. And I said to Dr. Carr, what's the salt? So that's what James is like. What salt do we feed our, uh, the folk that won't come drink this good water, this clean water? Well, I mean, the last time that it worked, and my my estimation, and I, I'm going to just say I'm a transactional. When, when you deal, you got to understand, if you're dealing with a transactional person, you got to give them a transaction. In in the runoff election in Georgia, you know, what was on the table? $2,000 in an Affordable Care Act money. Right. And they said, hey, you get us those two Senate votes, you're going to get that money. Well, that's what happened. That that message was like, yo, this money's coming to you. You vote for your money. So I have always been a fan of putting money on the table and making it clear that this is, you know, money or something that's really important to you. And what I find is that most people care about money. So if I were the Democrat running and regulating things right at this very moment, I would be like, okay, senators, okay, I'm let's get together and put a bill on the table that puts five thousand dollars in every American's hands. Mm. Mm. And if you vote for us, you get that five thousand dollars. <laughs> yes, that seems so simple. People will move cash rules, everything around us. Let's go to Vincent. It, I mean, and, and the thing is, what? all you have to do is get the voters and get the Senate votes to pass it. It'll break down along party lines and then you'll know which party is giving you five thousand dollars and which one is not. Period. And it ain't like they don't have to. And, and everybody likes money. Come on through, Pam. Pam should be in charge of everything. Vincent in New York, welcome to the Karen Hunter Show. I agree. Hey, <laughs> how are you guys? I have to agree. She should be in charge. I have never heard anyone who is so concise, so pragmatic, and so real as Miss Keith. I am I'm impressed. She laid out the blueprint, the walking papers for what we need to do to get things done. And my, my, my thing is, why hasn't anyone else kind of went down this road some of our other political organizations you know i'm not blaming anyone but why wasn't this ever a thought you know this is 
this is this is I, I, I I'm just bothered by it. Well, I let me answer your question. Most of the black organizations in this country are 501c3s. From their inception, we taught black folks, especially black churches, that they best not stop and step into politics or the IRS is going to come knocking. And so from the very beginning, the NAACP, the UNCF, the uh, the AKAs and the, and the all, all of the urban league, all of them have set themselves up to be apolitical. They could be black, but they can't be political. They can't bridge the, the gap between black power and black political power and so what happened so and we and we sat around watching the white evangelical churches go straight lobby straight campaign centers for trump right and we're sitting here going but our pastors can't do that what's what's up with that and what i'm trying to let people know is that that 501c3 thing even though it seems to be helpful on the taxes and the reality it is a it's a means of control it is a means of control. And 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 if you want corporate sponsorship for your UNCF dinner, you best not get militant. And if you want corporate sponsorship for that NCAA, you know, fundraising golf tournament, you best not get too militant. And so what we need to do is we need to build some organizations that are not afraid to be militant and that aren't afraid to pay taxes, right? Because at the end of the day, if they are corporate, if they are for profit institutions, right? Then they get all the benefits in the tax codes for being a company, right? And so that's why I was trying to figure out how I could shift my my campaign into a corporation. Ooh, so yeah, well, why. ooh, this, ooh, you, ooh, my goodness, my head. I just, I just need a day to process everything. Pam Keith, will you stick around? I'm sorry, because sure. phone lines are lit and we still processing. And this is important, you know, first day of voting in Georgia, Today, uh, tomorrow, Kansas, Maryland, Minnesota, New Jersey, Oregon, West Virginia, last deadline for registration. Jersey, come on, Oregon, West Virginia, important elections, Maryland, Kansas, and Minnesota. Tomorrow, New Hampshire, uh, the 24th, Wyoming, South Dakota, Pennsylvania, big time, Iowa, California, Alabama, still time to register to vote. First day early voting in Georgia today. Let's go, Pam Keith is here setting the framework for what needs to happen next. And the, the call asks, why hasn't this been done before? You you laid it out. Uh, I remember my daddy telling me, you know, uh, be, you know, nonprofit crooks do the nonprofit route. You run a business, you run a business to make money. You're, you know, this is a capitalist nation. It is designed for you to make money. You run a business. You don't do that, you know. So I was like, all right, daddy, that's what I'm going to do. So five companies later. Uh, but to your point, was that kind of a design, Pam, keep to, to keep us politically uh, amputated? and uh you know paralyzed and once the money started flowing to those organizations through their 501c3 you know now they're beholden it also put them in a compromised position all of those organizations because as they take these checks they also have to keep the natives quiet so we can get these checks for these dinners that we're putting on and these shows that we're doing and all of these conferences that we're we got to get that money so we got to be quiet so that also the rest of us got muted because these organizations that we believed in got that money. Damn it. So, so the first thing about churches, why do they keep churches tax free? Why, why did they, why did they come to this conclusion that in order for a church 
to be treated like a church and be not taxed as a church. It has to remain apolitical. I, I always found that very strange. Well, you know, and I, I well, church the, and state, Pam, church and state. Well, no, no, no. You, you can. The separation between church and state is about government imposing uh, any kind of uh, national religion or um, allowing religion to dictate to government. That is the separation between church and state. But allowing a church to dictate to its membership as to how they should use their political power, that's got nothing to do with church and state. People get that very confused. That's got nothing to do with church and state. If I am a, a you know, the, the pastor of, of Rock of Truth Baptist Church and my congregants want to know my opinion about how we should best use our political power, that's got nothing to do with church and state. Right? So anyway, the point is we have found ourselves muted. The way that the Jewish community, and like I said, I tip my hat to my Jewish brothers and sisters, um, the way that they leverage their political power if they can't do it through their synagogues is through community groups like APAC and, and J street and other, other political action. And they're extraordinarily effective in that. And I can't hate on that because it works. And, and APAC is smart as hell because APAC does not just give money to Jewish candidates. APAC gives money to black candidates. It gives money to white candidates. It gives money to any candidates that are going to support their agenda. But APAC also follows up and makes sure that they do actually follow that agenda. <laughs> and so does J Street. What do we do? Does the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation follow up to make sure that our people are voting in our best interest? We don't even know what could be in our best interest. We don't even it. know because we rely on our elected officials to do all that work. And that's not what the elected official is there to do. They're not actually there to write legislation as much as we think they are. They're there to vote on legislation. It's really organizations that write legislation and push legislation and and uh, grassroots organize around legislation. Mm. So that's where we have been terribly unsophisticated. And another area that we've been terribly unsophisticated is that we will pay uh, we will pay a king's ransom to make sure our hair and nails look good and nobody, don't, don't get mad at me because I get my nails did. We will pay a king's ransom to, you know, walk, go to football games and play golf, right? We will give our tithe to our church, um, but we don't give politically, right? That's just not something we as Black people do. Um, to the extent that other communities do, and especially minority communities, you got to give politically and have money in the game because that's what greases the wheels of everything. Money greases the wheels of everything. And we know this to be true, but when you as a candidate go to black people and ask them for their money, it's, it's hard. Not only do black people look at you sideways, white people look at you sideways. Everybody's wondering whether you can win. And you really got to be one hell of a salesperson to get somebody to invest in you as a candidate. So we make it really hard on our candidates. It's really surprising we get as many across the line as we do. But it's mm. all the more shocking when you consider that on the right, if I wanted to, I want to tell this story to your listeners. When I ran for office, understand my background, corporate attorney, military background, daughter of a diplomat, speaks three languages. When I started running for office, I got solicited not once, but twice by the Florida GOP to run as a Republican. And their view 
was that they could they would fund me to the moon and beyond because I was an articulate, conservative looking black woman that they could have made a star. Money was flowing all over the place for me on the right. But I came to the black pastors and they're like, well, you know, I haven't seen you every Sunday. You know, I, I would go to my <laughs> black community and they'd be like, well, you didn't start out as the city council. And so why should I support you for Congress? You know, and so we make it hard for black candidates. We make it hard for them to get support. We make it hard for them to get visibility and we make it hard for them to get money. And then we get shocked that when they do make it across the line, the first people they're answering to are the people who who grease their money. Yes. Let me ask you, had you taken that money, Pam Keith? I would be take, a superstar at the GOP. You'd be a superstar. Today. Would you could you have done that and then go psych? I'm not voting the way you, I'm actually. I, I mean, I, I suppose I could, but you I, would feel, I'm not You would feel good. Mm. Mm. I'm going to need somebody be. with your bona fides, with your background, to not give a damn, to take that money and then go psych. <laughs> ah, you suckers. But, I mean, Watch this. They The one thing they do is they, but see, you got to understand what that money is really buying. You know, they sell it as this is going to uplift you and make you powerful. But the reality is you, you're stepping fetch it when you take that money. Look at Herschel Walker. Well, Herschel look Walker has Walker. half a piece of brain. So that's not a good example. I know, but to, look at Tim it's, Scott. I mean, Tim Scott's okay, not good example. Good example. step and fetch it, but he has been completely neutered. Yes. So right? you're saying you can't take that money and then do what you want? Like, what's, oh, heck what's no. The, what's no, the no, consequence? No, no, no. That, what can they do? No. No money comes without time, without strings. There's no such things as they money could be without. mad. You're like, I changed my mind. Yeah, but you that the the, the thing is they'll, they they'll Madison Cawthorn you. You'll be one term oh, with it, with, okay. with a whole lot of debt. Got you, like got you don't you. you don't play like that. Okay. And the thing is, and it, and I think more importantly, psychologically, once you buy into a team, it's hard to be around all those people pumping you up and lifting yeah. you up and telling you and not absorb their think. You know, one of the things that I told myself when I went into politics was my integrity was not something I could put down and pick back up once I won. Mm. You can't yeah. do that. You think you can. Everybody tells themselves they can, that they're going to be the one that once I get into power, I'm going to be different. But what you see and what has been shown to me over and over again is just like, is that once you get into power, you start to self-talk yourself into why you need to do the things to stay into power. And pretty mm. soon you conflate that you are the best person to represent your community, right? With all the things you do to stay in that power, position of power to represent your community. And that's why you get so offended when somebody challenges you, right? Because you now start to think of this role as your property, your own, you earn this, this is yours, right? Mm. And that seat is never yours. That seat belongs to the people. And should always be challenged by the person who thinks they can do the best job for the people. We've come out of that. We don't, we've never really had that tradition, but, but, but we really don't have that tradition. Now you got octogenarians up down and sideways in our government because they believe that they have a property right in that seat. And our politics teaches that. And the loyalty to the party is necessary to retain that power. And so we become so much more party loyal than people loyal. And knowing that about the process, I was always extraordinarily vigilant that I wasn't going to step off my path even a little bit to win. Because if I step off my path to win, then staying off the path is justified to keep winning. Yes. And yes. then pretty soon there is no path. 
Thank you for your integrity. I'm sorry the people of Florida didn't uh, vote enough for you to be in office because we need more people like you. But now I think that was a mistake, too, because I think you are going to activate a whole lot of lobbyists, which is going to have way more impact than that one vote that Pam Keith would have as a representative from the state of Florida. It's about to go down, y'all. Pam Keith is here. You can follow her at Pam Keith FL for Florida. 